Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. here once again. If you would join me to dine in the book of John, we'll take one passage of scripture here to start. John chapter 4 and 35. And I'll say in the onset tonight, if if you've been in church 15 minutes, you're not going to hear anything tonight that you've not heard before. So don't, don't check out on me. I need your help as well as the help of the Lord. John chapter 4, verse 35. This is Jesus. He said, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And so for just a few moments, I'm going to talk to us, primarily me, on this subject, a ready harvest, a ready harvest. Can you lift your hands? Let's lift our voices and let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we stand here as frail flesh. We are unable to do anything of our own volition, our own account, God, our own strength. It means nothing in the kingdom. It is all your spirit. It is your word. It is forever settled. And so we're asking you for your word to take preeminence in this house tonight. For your word, for your mandate, God, to take preeminence in our hearts. And for your word to prevail, God, over every distraction, over everything that would attempt to exalt itself above you. We cast it down in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You can be seated if you'll help me. Time is a commodity that we're certainly all familiar with. We live our lives by clock. Yes, sir. We live our lives by calendar, appointments and deadlines and the list can go on and on. We're familiar intimately with time. We had a certain time to be here tonight. You're probably looking for a certain time to be out of here (laughs) tonight. You know when you're supposed to wake up in the morning. You know when you're supposed to be somewhere in the morning, tomorrow, throughout your day. In fact, your mind's probably already going there. We're intimately familiar with time. Seasons, on the other hand, are a little bit different. Although seasons are predicated upon time, seasons can be somewhat nebulous. I'll explain. 
We can enter into them. We can exit out of them seemingly unknowingly. Let me just example this for a moment. We have a grove of pecan trees on our property. And spring, for me, happened yesterday. I looked out the window, and all of a sudden, there are mature green leaves on those trees. And for me, that happened last night. I just looked, and there they were. I just looked and realized that they're mature green leaves on the branches that seemed to just come up when I wasn't looking. And so realistically, we know that that's not the way that happens. There are certainly flowering plants and things of that nature that bud overnight, wilt and die before we can see them. But the truth is that for all intent and purposes, it just doesn't work that way all the time. That's not the norm. The norm is that there is a process, and it happens seemingly when we're not looking. It's our nature. This is going to sting a little bit, but it's our nature to focus on ourselves. It's a human instinct. It's intuition. Perhaps it's survival mode. I don't know, but it's very common. We we tend to, to just see right now ourselves, our situations, and coupled with the demands of life, the, the, the constant pull, the, the pull to accomplish the task-oriented lifestyle that, that many of us live, it's simply easy to just miss some things. Perhaps overlook them or even neglect them, the the important things while we're carrying out the important things. Seemingly, the necessary things in our everyday lives. And so can I tell you tonight, we are the disciples that we're going to read about in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a familiar passage of Scripture to us. We, we are very familiar with it. It's the introduction of Jesus' conversation and his interaction with the woman of Samaria. It's at Jacob's well that Jesus ministers to her and reveals himself as the Messiah. He's learned of the Pharisees taking note of him and the things that he had began to do and understanding that his ministry is predicated upon time and that time was a factor and that what he must endure at their hands was not yet he withdraws himself from Judea and begins a journey back to Galilee. But it was not without a very unconventional stop along the way. John 4 and 4 says, And he must needs go through Samaria. It wasn't traditional. It wasn't normal, but it was necessary. We all know this, I just need to lay some groundwork here tonight, but in the New Testament, Samaria was a region in the middle of Palestine with Judea to the south and Galilee to the north. Samaria was, was without separate political existence under the Roman governor, but the people were different. They were racially mixed, and their religion resulted from syncretism or a schism from Judaism with its center of worship in Mount Gerizim. This was the shortest route 
from Judea to Galilee through Samaria. But it was not the only way. We know that Samaria was not the intended route that the Jews would take in their traveling from and to Galilee or vice versa. The route that they would take was in Perea, which is east of the Jordan River. And so in, in, in Jesus' day, the Jews, because of such hatred for those Samaritans, normally took that eastern route to avoid them altogether. But Jesus didn't do this. He chose the route through Samaria in order, and I'll just get to the point, to reach the very despised people of that region. And so for us to understand here, right now, where we are in this chapter, I believe to contextually understand what is taking place here and what will unfold invariably in the next few verses, we need to be able to take a glance backward in the previous chapter and what occurred there. We look back in John chapter 3. It is not separated from. It's just a different scenario. John chapter 3, we see the very famous, the very, we, we all know, very, very familiar with the meeting that Nicodemus had with Jesus. Nicodemus sought a meeting with Jesus. And so with that, we clearly see in John chapter 3 a complete and utter different set of circumstances in John chapter 4. Contrasted by the earlier meeting that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus seeks the woman at the well. I'm going somewhere. And so with that contrast, let's look at some other contrasts. Nicodemus, as it's already been said, sought a meeting with Jesus. The Samaritan woman was indifferent. He was Nicodemus, a respected ruler, but she was an outcast. Nicodemus was serious about meeting with Jesus. He made a point to do so. She was quite flippant, at least in the beginning. Nicodemus was a Jew. She was a despised Samaritan. Nicodemus was presumably moral, but she was otherwise immoral. He was orthodoxed. She was considered heretical. He was learned in religious matters, but she was quite ignorant. Yet in spite of all the contrasting, in spite of all the differences that we see between Nicodemus in chapter 3 and the woman of Samaria in chapter 4, there is one very common goal and one very common denominator and one very needed issue that must be resolved, and that is that they both needed to be born again. Okay. Both of them, no matter where they were coming from, no matter their circumstances in life or their position in life, both of them had needs that only Jesus could meet. And because Jesus intentionally sought out this woman, because he was willing to step out of the confines of the traditional, a chain of events transpired that became the inspiration of an evangelistic endeavor that reached an entire city. Can I say it like this? It was a harvest. Previously, now, 
If we bring everything back to John chapter 4, Jesus has allowed his disciples to leave him. They have departed from him, and they have gone to care for a very important thing. And that was getting something to eat. Can somebody say amen? Getting something to eat. The journey was long. It was hot. It was it was, it was taxing. It was a shortcut, but the exertion of energy and the calories that it took walking in the heat of the day no doubt left this group very tired, very thirsty, and very hungry. And so the disciples went seeking the important thing. But while they were seeking the important, Jesus was seeking the spiritual. While they were attending for the physical sustenance needed to carry out the journey, Jesus attended to the necessary spiritual task needed to carry out the business of the kingdom. John 4 and 31 says, In the meanwhile, his disciples, they came to him and said, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? The disciples' misunderstanding, as they most of the time did, and their misunderstanding of the situation and their response is in most instances opened the door for Jesus to explain. He was telling them not that he had no, no need for physical food. Je Jesus spoke to the real passion that drove him to keep going and going and going. It's not that he did not need to do the important thing to eat. It was not that he was super spiritual and he did not need to attend to the things that were needful. It was that he was he was focusing his attention on the very thing that kept him going in the first place. It's why he came. It's why he got up in the mornings. It's what prompted him to endure hardship. It's that place that he was in that he told the one disciple, I have no place to lay my head and no place to call my home. It's the thing that gave him purpose. It's the thing that caused him to wade through crowds and lay his hands upon the sick. And it's what drove him to heal and to restore. It's what caused him to teach and to reach for those who are otherwise unreachable and those who were, who were otherwise unwanted and that no one wanted to encounter. It was the lame. It was the destitute. It was the hurting. It was the blind. It was those that society had thrown away and said there's nothing that we can do with them it's them it's that kind of thing that drove him into tempest seas into graveyards and down long desolate and dusty roads it's what drove him into a garden as he went to his knees in agonizing physical pain for the sins of humanity and it is what drove him to the cross of Calvary and that is to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm not going to stop saying it. We've said it from this pulpit a thousand times, but that's what he came for. It was to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his main goal. It was not a side thing. It wasn't a side show. That was what he came for, to seek and to save that which was lost. 
And Jesus said unto them in verse 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said that my friends, is what I consume because that is what consumes me. It is my meat. It is what I, I live upon. It is my desire and it is what my mind has stayed on. And as per usual, and understandably so, the disciples were confined into thinking materialistically. Jesus said, not condescendingly, not in a derogatory manner. He said, my food is to do the will of him that sent me. He didn't berate them. He didn't attempt to make them feel small. He did not degrade them or degradate them or to try to speak down to them. He was simply directing their focus. Jesus, just as he does, <laughs> He's a teacher, methodically and intentionally directs their attention to hear it now, the more important. He moves their focus from what mattered to what really matters. Yes, there were important things at hand, absolutely. They could not continue their journey unless they ate. They could not continue on unless they received rest and strength and sustenance. Yes, there are and were familiar and very material things that needed to be attended to. But Jesus is directing and instructing, and I believe he's doing it again in this hour, that those things that are important and are necessary are absolutely important, and they are absolutely necessary, but there is something that we must attend to there is something that we must get our focus on and change our gaze to because there is something that must be attended to and time is of the essence John 4 and 35 he said say ye not there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest behold I say unto you lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. Agriculture was a very familiar illustration used to explain very spiritual applications in Jesus' teaching. It's what they understood. It was, it was just what made sense to them. And so practically speaking, Jesus is painting a spiritual picture. He's telling them that farmers have a period of waiting between their sowing and their reaping. It might have been a local saying, four months more and then the harvest. It certainly could have been maybe a colloquial saying. But in the spiritual realm, what Jesus is alluding to is that there is not necessarily a long wait when you're sowing and when you're planting, or perhaps not seemingly anyway. Just as Jesus is explaining, just as he is 
trying to shift the focus and explain. He is explaining to them, and I believe in this hour, is that now, now is the day of opportunity more than it ever has been in the past. It is the day of opportunity now, and all that is needed, all that is required is spiritual vision and spiritual perception. All we have to do is open our eyes. All we have to do is shift our focus and take our gaze off of what what does matter matter but there is something that is just below the surface that matters most Jesus was saying that if the disciples would just look around if they would just open their eyes if they would just look above the fray of the right now or of the temporal if they would just lift their eyes above everything that was going on around them they would see people with spiritual hunger he said it's all around you it's here right now if you look it's glaringly obvious and then he goes on to say a little bit more about sowing and reaping he continues in verse 36 and he says and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together and herein is that saying true one soweth and another reapeth I sent you to reap that whereupon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Evidently, referring to the ministry of the Old Testament prophets, he continues to shape their spiritual application in that others had already done the work of sowing. Others had already come before them and planted the seed. And others had already come before them and laid a foundation. Most recently in their day, John the Baptist, his ministry of preparation, as he labored, not seeing the reward of his labor, yet others entered into his labor, began to reap the harvest of his work. But that doesn't end there. Even though he didn't see the end of his labors on earth, Jesus is saying that both kinds of workers the sower and the reaper are going to get their pay because their pay is not here on earth it is not temporal it is eternal you see sowers sow and labor in planting the seed that will eventually grow and reapers harvest the crop for eternal life as reapers the disciples had the rewarding privilege of leading people to faith in Jesus and building upon a foundation that had already been set a seed that had already been planted houses that had already been built seed that had already been pushed in the ground and been cultivated and began to grow and began to, to bear fruit for his name Jesus' disciples were involved in ministry to others in the issues of literal life and death eternity he's emphasizing to them and I believe here tonight that he is emphasizing the importance of both sower and reaper and all the while, all the time he's talking, every word that he's saying 
about sowing and about reaping. In so doing, he is both sowing a seed in the disciples that would grow into future fruit. It would grow into men that he planted it in who would become apostles, who would stand on the day of Pentecost and boldly proclaim, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's planting that seed while he's telling them the harvest is coming, the harvest is ready to those men and those women who at one time would look through a one-dimensional lens at what salvation was and who it could affect. They, They would come to know that there were far greater and far broader and more important matters than that of what and even who they were accustomed to be around. It would become a life and death issue for all. Not just the Jews, but it would begin in Jerusalem. And it would grow into a harvest that would be reaped in the future. Now hear me tonight. I'm going to switch gears for here just a moment. And we're going to just kind of wrap this thing up. I am in no way, in no way suggesting that there are unimportant matters in individual lives and the things that come along with the life that we are living as unimportant are, 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 are arbitrary. Not one bit whatsoever. But there is something that takes precedent and there is something that is paramount above everything that we face in this life. T.F. Tenney once said, there's a main thing. And the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. It's just as simple as that. Matthew 28 and 19, I'll say it again. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Notice it said name and not names. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That is... My friends, the main thing, it is to go. It is not suggested. It is not even admonished. It is commanded. Jesus directs disciples to make disciples and for disciples to make disciples. That is the main thing. The main thing is to go. The purpose is to go and to take the gospel to all Nations, this message boldly proclaimed is made for public consumption. This is not a backroom deal, this is not a closed group. This is not something that you must be initiated in in some room somewhere where nobody knows what's going on. This was made to be proclaimed in the streets. This was made to be, I'm getting ahead of myself, but this was made to be proclaimed on your job. This was made to be proclaimed in the department store or in the grocery store or in the line as you're waiting to get your medication. This was made to go public and it was made to be mobile and it was made for every race, for every ethnicity, for every language, for every culture. And hear me tonight, it was made for every single generation until the Lord decides to return to this earth. 
It was made for all. Jesus' actions from John chapter 4 and his interaction with this woman is a clear example for us here today in 2023. And in the next few moments, I will attempt to explain why I believe that. We've seen the contrast tonight between the situations and the circumstances and the scenarios between Nicodemus and this woman of Samaria. And I believe that it has a direct application of where we are today. There is a, there is a divisive, clear, demarcated line between past generations and between this generation. And I will explain. Our current generation... Now, I'm going to be bold here for a moment, and it's not because pastor's not here. But in this world today, people don't have a clue that they're lost. They don't know they're lost. Because of the cosmopolitan, the polyreligious embrace of a multiplicity of beliefs, many, and I'm talking about a generation, not people groups, Many hold a pseudo-spiritual, even paganistic, all roads lead to Rome type of confidence. Whereas previous generations held distinct biblical beliefs and had a clear understanding of the lost and found distinction. Our current generation, in very many cases, are flippant because they have not necessarily been taught the importance of biblical principles. The, the phrase ignorant and unlearned has taken on a completely different meaning in our generation. Because a biblical or at least a Judeo-Christian foundation is no longer at the basis of our modern day lifestyles. Morality, moreover is no longer an assumed foundation that people have in their lives today. Whereas previous generations, moral character was at least a requisite trait among society. It doesn't exist anymore. And so with that, with the contrast between former generations and a current generation, I say that we ought to today... We ought to live, we ought to live more boldly and we ought to proclaim truth louder than we ever have before, unashamedly. We ought to get up in the morning and we ought to put on God and we ought to walk out in this world and say, here I am, I am holy, I am set apart, I'm not going to talk that way, I'm not going to act that way, I'm not going to look that way, I am a child of God with so many that are seeking to have their positions and their songs to be heard, their opinions to be heard and felt. The song of the redeemed ought to be heard louder and prouder than it ever has been before. Hear me tonight. Truth is too beautiful for it to be locked up in some box somewhere and hidden in a back room. Truth is too much, it is too important to be locked up and to remain silent. Fritz Kreisler 
The world famous violinist earned a fortune with his concerts and compositions, but he generously gave most of it away. So when he discovered an exquisite violin on one of his trips, he wasn't able to buy it. Later, having raised enough money to meet the asking price, he returned to the seller hoping to purchase the beautiful instrument. But to his great dismay, it had been sold to a collector. Chrysler made his way to the new owner's home and offered to buy the violin. But the collector said it had become his prized possession and he would not sell it. Keenly disappointed, Chrysler was about to leave when he had an idea. He said, could I play the instrument one more time before it's consigned to silence? Permission was granted, and the great virtuoso filled the room with such heart-moving music that the collector's emotions were deeply stirred, and he said to him, I have no right to keep that to myself. He exclaimed, it's yours, Mr. Chrysler. Take it into the world and let people hear it. And so can I tell somebody tonight, you've got truth in your life. God has brought you out of darkness and into His marvelous light, and you ought to proclaim His praises among the people it's too important to keep inside of you that's truth and it ought to be proclaimed louder and prouder than we ever have before Romans 10 and 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved we know that but he didn't stop there he said how then shall they call on him on whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things hear me tonight I'll say it again truth ought to be proclaimed over and over and over again and you ought not to be ashamed to proclaim it But hear me, in order to do that today, we're going to have to take at times, and more often than not, a different approach than what we're accustomed to. To reach this world, we are going to have to take some unconventional methods. We're going to have to walk some unconventional paths. And we are going to have to step out of some very comfortable places. We are even going to have to leave behind some very familiar assumptions. I'll contrast again. In previous generations when people knew they were wrong in certain areas of their life, many would proactively take measures to correct the issue or at least they knew where to go to find what they needed. But that is no longer the case. We are living in a generation likened very much to the generation of Noah that has been sold a bill of goods that have only complicated and made worse an already dire circumstance. And the matter is too important for the child of God and the church of the living God to turn a blind eye or a deaf Ear. Hear me tonight, in spite of the smiles, in spite of the jovial social media posts, beyond those party goers and the substance used to create that euphoric outward position, just 
Beneath the surface lies some very real hurt and pain. I know exactly what I'm talking about here tonight. There's no wonder that there is an estimated 700,000 plus per year that commit suicide in the world. There is no wonder that approximately 40 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce with that number increasing exponentially to 60 to 70% for second marriages. It's because they're looking. It's because they're searching and they're unable to find. Hear me tonight. There is an issue in the world today. There is an issue that that must be addressed in the world today but it is not the issue of a lack of sowing it is not an issue of a lack of seed and there is absolutely nothing wrong with the harvest our musicians can get ready there is an issue and I understand that everything we see is a direct result of sin. I'm going to be a little bold here tonight. That's not even the issue that I'm talking about. Jesus referenced the harvest again in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. He said, but when, the Bible says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. And were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I told you I'm not going to say anything you haven't heard. But I do believe that it is a word for this hour. Say ye not, there are yet four months. And then cometh the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already, already to harvest. The issue is not the lostness of humanity. That's not the issue. The issue is not a lack of harvest material. The issue is the lack of laborers. You see, it's a labor crisis that we have on our hands. And nothing happens in the spiritual that we don't see a manifestation of it in the natural. My wife and I just recently took a trip. This is not in my notes, and I probably shouldn't say it. Just took a trip. We just went to walk down a historic road in some town between here and Alaska. And every sign, every single business, every one of them, a sign. They were all, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, they're almost begging people to come in and apply. I'm not being unkind, but it was almost as if they were holding a mirror and said, if you can just make fog, you can work. And I'm not being unkind, but we walked past multiple people sitting on the side of the road with signs. Need money. Need money. Now, I don't know their circumstances, and I'm not, I'm not trying to berate them or try to belittle them. I don't know where they were. I don't know them from Adam. 
But I'm just telling you the perspective of what I could see. Signs, we need help. We need help. We need help. Our businesses are failing because we don't have the help while people are sitting saying, would you just give me something? Will you just give me something? Will you just give me something? It's a labor crisis. And you can't tell me that that does not have some bleed over into the church world itself. A labor crisis. It's not the seed. It's not the seed. No, the seed is the word of God. It is forever settled in heaven. It's solid. It's secure. And it is without reproof or correction. And it is incorruptible. And it will grow if you plant it. The problem isn't the sower. The the, the prophets and the apostles, the pioneers of this great message, there were committed men and women. They were steadfastly committed to, to carry out and to complete the task that God set before them that great cloud of witnesses who may not have seen the entire fruit of their labors built and they stored and they stored up for eternal treasure where there is an incorruptible crown awaiting them no they're not the problem the seed is not the problem it's already been sowed and others have come before us and have endured the hardship of sowing that seed they labored and they planted and they labored and they cultivated and they labored and they sowed some more and they watered some more and now here comes the harvest but contrary to popular opinion it is not a future harvest it is a now harvest and can I tell you here tonight it is a ready harvest it's a now harvest and it is a ready harvest the only problem that Jesus gave attention to in this in this New Testament scripture is not the it's not the seed it's not the sower it's not the word it's the lack of urgency to reap the harvest Paul told the Corinthian church and I believe that it applies to us just as much as it did them if not more he said unto them it is written for your admonition it's already been set and settled upon whom the ends of the world are come can somebody just take that and make that personal here tonight I'm that I'm them that the ends of the world are come can I tell you tonight I'm looking at reapers I'm looking at laborers I'm looking at men and women who are committed to a cause and that the end time harvest of souls is dependent upon and so don't let your hands be idle don't let your mind be focused on those unimportant or even more important things that may try to take precedent over God's word and his mandate but fix your eyes on the harvest because no matter, hear me, no matter what this world may say or how they may act or how may they may interact act or react or seemingly have an aversion to this gospel message can I tell you they're ready they're ready they're ready right now it doesn't matter if they give you a side glance or look at you like they want to kill you it's because they are ready and that is just the spirit of this age and the spirit of this world that's trying to rise itself up and deter you from putting your hands in the harvest they're ready they're ready They're ready to hear the gospel message and they are in a better position to receive it today than they ever have been. I believe 100% that we are seeing people, they they are seeing effects of the sin in their lives 
and they are realizing that it is simply not the answer. I believe that there are people in this world that are realizing that are coming to themselves and they're looking around and they're finding out that Hollywood isn't doing it for them. They're finding out that political parties have let them down. They've even found out that religion has left them wondering and even questioning because there are even so-called Christian organizations that are in this world that are compromising their morals and allowing unseemly and ungodly acts to take place on platforms all across America. And you hear me tonight, even though there may be some that are embracing it, there are others that are looking into it and they're longingly looking into a hopeless situation and they are desiring truth. They're looking into that and they're saying something's not right here. Something doesn't feel right here. This just doesn't seem like the way it should be. And they're looking for someone who will come along and labor and bear the truth and be a light to them in this dark and disgusting world. Not a holier than thou. Not a soapbox. But boldly proclaiming the truth in love. Hear me tonight. I'm talking to me. We must labor now to bring the harvest in or the harvest will die in the field. I know that I'm preaching to devoted people and I don't mean any disrespect to what I'm saying. But if we don't get our eyes on the harvest, the harvest will die in the field. There is a time to every season. And I believe right now we are in a serious season of harvest. And the harvest is ready. They're ready. We may walk past them trying to make that deadline. We may zoom past them trying to make that calendar appointment. And it may seem like they don't want anything to do with us. But hear me tonight. I know what I'm talking about. They're ready to hear the gospel. I'm closing and you can stand. Dwight L. Moody was a preacher and an evangelist in the mid to late 1800s. Born in 1837 in Northfield, Massachusetts, he was an integral part of the movement in the United States and Europe. He was not just a proverbial fiery evangelist, but he was also a gifted teacher and prolific writer. His ministry, in whatever form, reached millions of people. It has been said that he could have been an industrial statesman just like John D. Rockefeller but instead was drawn away from business and toward ministry work among poor German and Scandinavian immigrants in the inner city of Boston. The story is told that while speaking in London, D.L. Moody was approached by several British ministers and members of the clergy who wanted to know the secret of Moody's success in bringing others to Christ. Moody invited them to look out the window and asked them one at a time, a simple question. What do you see 
Each man looked down on those passing by on the sidewalk below, scribing the busy cars on the street and seeing children at play in the park across the street. Trying to be especially observant, they each noted the things. I see people. I see carriages. I see street vendors. D.L. Moody prompted them to look again. And again he asked, What do you see? The second time, they seemed to get closer to what Moody would consider a correct answer. I see men and women and children. I see workers. I see shoppers and shop owners. To the exasperation, Moody insisted they look a third time. They clearly were not seeing whatever it was Moody wanted them to see. And finally, one of the clergymen inquired, Dr. Moody, what do you see? Moody stepped to the window and silently looked down on the scene below. Tears filled his eyes and he said, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. And so I ask this question tonight. What do you see? What do we see? What are we seeing Are we seeing calendar appointments? Are we looking intently into to-do lists and deadlines to meet? Do we see co-workers? Do we see family members? Do we see neighbors across the street? Do we see the harvest? Do we see the men and the women who will die in the field And go to a devil's hell lost without Jesus Christ unless we tell them about Him. And so I simply say tonight, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. I say look Open our eyes and look on the fields for they are already white and they are ready and they are ready to hear this gospel message. I say we look. I say we stop trying to focus in on the important things and just shift our focus over to the most important thing and that is eternity. And then I say we lift our hands to heaven and we ask God to help us see and to give us a passion for the mission and then put our hands and our hearts in an already ready harvest if that's what you want to do tonight would you just lift your hands to heaven you can make an altar where you stand you may have this already settled you may already have this down pat if you do ask the Lord to help you to never fall but if you are lacking if you are are stumbling in any area or any way why don't you just lift your hands and ask he's just going to shift your focus he's going to help you Make your mind up to do what he's called you to do and to be what he's called you to be in Jesus' name. Come on, just for a moment, would you just cry out to God? Would you just pray and ask him to have his way? We love you, Jesus. We praise your holy name and we magnify you, God, for you're the only one who is worthy of it. 
in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.